Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedekes. And now get ready to think. All right. Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show where we tackle impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. Well, we've got a big one today. Over the last five years in the U.S., we have heard a lot about the quote, 1%, end quote. You know, the nefarious cadre who have clawed their way to the top of the economic heap. But did you ever stop to think that globally, you too might be part of the 1%? It's true. According to Investopedia, if you make $32,400 per year or more, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world. Now, does this make you a bad person? No, of course not. Sin makes you a bad person. Does it mean that you've been blessed? Absolutely. And one thing that scripture is clear about is that God blesses us so that we will invest what he's given us in to the furtherance of his kingdom and his plan. Now that means spreading the gospel. It also means loving our neighbors by helping them live better lives. Two factors which must not be separated. Of course, the gospel comes first and foremost, always. But one of the ways that Christians have sought to fulfill their mission is by working to eradicate poverty. It's a mission that hasn't been limited to Christians, but it's also involved groups like the UN, other charities, NGOs, nonprofits. Here's the problem. The vast majority of them are doing it wrong. Very, very wrong. Now, before I introduce today's guest, let me and explain why everyone gets this so wrong. Let me just encourage you. Uh, if you're watching this on Facebook, please like and share the video. If it's on YouTube, please Uh, subscribe to our channel and tap that bell icon so you never miss a video from the Think Institute. And if you're hearing this on the podcast later, thank you for listening. And please leave us an honest five-star rating and review. Now, without any further ado, I would like to introduce my guest, Catherine Legard. Catherine, welcome to the Think Podcast. Thank you so much, Joel. Appreciate it. So my guest today is Catherine Legard, and she's going to explain to us how to actually eradicate poverty. She and her husband, Vidar, are working in East Africa to do just that with their organization, Safari Mission. So I'm hoping that Catherine can tell us about her story and what she's doing that works and give us some principles for how we can help our neighbors where we live, whether that's in East Africa, Chicago, where I'm at, or wherever it is that you call home. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Catherine, um, what uh, what is the weather like right now where you're at? Well, right now we are back in the U.S. and so it's a little chilly here. We are in Oklahoma right now. Mm. So we're we're actually uh, having to <laughs> wear some warmer clothes today. So right now we're back here. Um, the whole world is shut down right now. So um, we're just going to stay in one place for right now. All right. So so you're shut down in Oklahoma as well. Is that something that 
is happening in East Africa as well? It is. Uh, we cannot get in or out. Flights are completely canceled. Uh, the, the embassy is working on getting, you know, those who want to evacuate out of there. Uh, so there's no other flights coming in out of East Africa or in Kenya. Kenya is our base uh, right now. Um, all assembly is, is also limited. So um, we've, you know, with what all the work we do, we have had to go online and, and just continue it that way. Wow, incredible. So so is that why you ended up going to Oklahoma? Is, is, is that sort of a home away from home or home base for you? This is our base in the U.S., yes. So we are okay. here and, and, you know, we had to come back a little earlier due to some other things. And so we just happened to be here. My husband was actually in East Africa when they started shutting down and he just came back to join the rest of our family right now. So it's a good it's a good time to be together right now. Okay. All right. And, um, you know, I am picking up a, a little bit of an accent here. So um, I'm guessing Oklahoma is not where you're originally from. Actually, you told me that earlier, but, but uh, where are you originally from and how did you end up setting up base in Oklahoma? And then, uh, you know, give us your story about how you ended up in Kenya. Oh, uh, it's a long story. So I'm going to try not to talk too much about it. But my husband and I are both from Norway. We grew up there. We came to Oklahoma initially just to go to school. Uh, you know, we did our college degrees and all those things here. And then we ended up staying here, getting involved here. Um, and then we both had it on our hearts since we were young to go to Africa. We didn't know exactly what we were going to do. We just like had a pull and a, and a desire to to do some something in Africa, you know, I didn't really care what I was going to do. I just wanted to go there and help and whatever I could do. So that was there since I was really young. And, and, you know, when the time came about 15 years ago, now um, we had an opportunity to go and just help with some leadership training and stuff like that. So we started doing initial trips from Oklahoma to there. And uh, we just always kept Oklahoma, you know, we have friends and a base here and, um, and so we kept working in East Africa, eventually started a work there and been doing that for 15 years now. Wow, 15 years. Yeah. Incredible. And have you had the, the same base there in Kenya or have you moved around a little bit? Um, yeah, well, we've been in Kenya. We started in a small in a city called Kisumu, but we our work was always traveling. That's also actually why we call safari mission. Safari is the Swahili word for travel. So we always travel from one place to another to train leaders. And you know, we saw a great need in the rural areas because no one was willing to go there and provide leadership training in the rural areas. Everyone wanted to go to the city. So we said, okay. Uh, there's a huge need in the rural areas. Let's go there. And we would kind of see ourselves like, you know, a school in a suitcase. You know, we would pack our stuff, set up a school for three weeks, then go to the next town, do the same, and then come back and, and, and do like another module later. And so, you know, we always did it like that just because we saw there was such a great need in those areas and they needed some help. Okay, so just to make this very clear, what is the need that Vidar and you are trying to meet there in Kenya? Well, there are several needs, but you know, we initially wanted to just help the local leaders, the pastors to, uh, you know, there's a lot of Christians in Sub-Saharan Africa, in Kenya, 
but a lot of them didn't have any any leadership training any knowledge of the bible what they were doing a lot of them were you know they were used to crusades so they were kind of doing the same style in their church services and and and, and their members were not growing in in anything in spiritual things in knowledge or anything like that so we just wanted to go and help them you know how are you going to be a good leader you know they are dealing with corruption they're dealing with poverty and all those things and you know we see that infiltrated in the church as well and so we just wanted to go there and straighten things out and like give them the tools they needed to be a good leader and and to help other people and that's what we've been doing for 15 years we've seen that when you train the leaders they will you know if they happen to be a pastor they will go and and be a blessing to everyone in their congregation because as their life is changing they're able to change other people's lives and if there are other community leaders you know they have a say in government you know things and all the things then you know they just impact so many more people by changing their mindset so we really change mindsets and with a biblical foundation and you know through that we've been able to help people you know work their way out of poverty uh fixing a lot of root causes that have been there for a while that um a lot of organizations start to say, but they're just putting band-aids on sores and it's like a whole leg is broken and you, and you just need to fix the root cause. Man, what an image, putting a band-aid on a broken leg. Yeah, not, mm -hmm. not gonna be very effective. Um, now, as you, were, um, as you were discerning this call to go to Africa, mm -hmm. I, I, want, I definitely want to talk about the, the principles that you all are putting in place. Mm -hmm. And from, from what I've seen on your website and, and the, the literature that you've put out, it it's, seems like it's uh, not only unique, but also very effective. But, but just for those who might be listening, who are wondering, how do you get a calling like that? How, how did you decide on Africa? Mm -hmm. um, Catherine, what was it about Africa that, that felt like, or that made you feel like you were being called to that continent and to that region? You know, I really feel like there's a strong desire that was just put in there as a, as a young child and it just became a growing awareness that it's actually God who put me that desire in there, you know, because why would you growing up in Norway have a strong desire on the inside of you to go to Africa? Like, why is that? And I really, I think as I was uh, getting older, as I went to Bible school myself or, or you studied the word, uh, just sensing that you know this became stronger more like specific like yeah i see this is definitely something we need to do and and just like the desires just grew and grew and grew become so strong you just have to do it almost it's like but it's come from the inside of you it's like just a pull it's like we have to go do it and it seems right when you go and do it you know there's this this uh witness on the inside of you like yeah you're doing the right thing you're on the right track here and 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 we didn't know everything you know sometimes things unfold god's plan unfold as you start moving in the right direction and and just new things come up and you change a little bit and that's okay too I just really think that God has us on a journey and, and, and you know, just things grow and, and you see more and more as you go. All right. Now, um, I'm hearing you talking about the inner leading of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and uh, be, you know, being, being guided by God internally. And uh, one thing from our uh, prior conversation via email, I do know um, you guys are, are, you lean more towards the Assemblies of God uh, theology, correct? So, mm -hmm. um, uh, I I just want to say, although I'm not Assemblies of God, I definitely don't lean more charismatic. But 
I too have experienced the, the Lord, you know, leading me and my wife and 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 guiding our steps. So that's not just a charismatic thing. Mm-hmm. So I just want to just want to clear that up. See, um, uh, assemblies of God and and uh, uh, a little bit more uh, folks who lean in the other direction. We can get along. We can both be guided by God. Exactly. Um, exactly. So yeah. so okay. So let's get into the meat of the discussion now, Catherine. Let's talk about what are the majority of missionaries, NGOs, nonprofits doing wrong when they go into a place like Kenya and try to eradicate poverty there? Well, from what we have seen, we've seen a lot of organization, nonprofit, Christian, non-Christian, whatever it might be, an aid, it could be a missionaries as well. It's, this, this is all, you know, all over. We've seen that a lot of people throw money at problems, but money in itself doesn't solve any problems. It's just how it is. You know, you can go to Kenya, you can be in the States, and, and money in itself is not the solution. The solution is to train people to think differently about their life, about money. You know, um, we want to build character. We want to build people. We want to invest in people and change the way they think. You know, we've seen mission organization and, and other organization um they give out meals, they give out food, they put shoes on their feet, and that's all fine. But what it just creates this dependency syndrome that the next time they're hungry or they don't have shoes, they're just going to look for the next person to give them something, and they haven't changed. And so we believe that you need to create producers in the society, producers who go out, get you know, create something of value, whether that is to get a job, whether that is to start a business, whether that is you know, in some way create something of value, and then they can sustain themselves and they can take care of themselves and I have so many examples like you know you see kids on the street begging for food there a lot of them have homes to go home to but the the mom and the parents they send their kids to street to the street because they'll hopefully get more money than if the parents go and the parents are unemployed and you know if you can train their parents how to become employable. One of the leaders we trained, um, he said, he was a pastor, and he said, you know, after I went, I've, after you taught me, and I go back and, and, and teach them, sorry, I have something falling out. Um, he said they became what he called employable, meaning the reason they didn't have a work in the first place, and I've seen this firsthand, I've had people work for me that had this issue. They are sleeping on their job. They're not showing up at all. They're showing up maybe three hours late, and you know you're not employable. You can't keep a job. So after he trained them, because what we train, we train in like finances, we train in budgeting, we train in work ethics, and how does a good employee look like in, in entrepreneurship, like going starting a business. And when people get a hold of that message and they start doing that in their communities, then those parents who have to send their kids to the streets to beg or even send them to orphanages, because a lot of orphans in Kenya are not real orphans. They have they have parents or aunts and uncles who normally would take care of them. Um, and you want you start becoming producers in society. Those family members who actually should be taking care of them can take care of them and can 
provide them food, provide them clothing and send them to school because now they have the means to do it. And so we believe that's just how you really fix the root cause. This is how you really change the society, not just a one-time fix, but for generations to come. Because once you teach that in a society, you know, they can just pass that down to the next generation and keep it going and build a society too. So what you're saying is, um, if I understand you correctly, the the dependency mindset is not something that's ingrained permanently. It's something that's that's taught. It's something that's fostered, but it can be changed. It can be eradicated. And in eradicating that, then you can make real steps towards eradicating poverty because the 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 seeds of poverty or or, or the unemployability of the, the people is is gone. Right. That's no longer an obstacle for for folks. Correct. And you know, the way we know that this is a fact is that we have traveled in different areas of Kenya ourselves to, to, to go in different areas, to set up our program, to train people. And unfortunately, the worst areas we go to when it comes to this dependency syndrome is where there's been more missionaries because they have gotten used to the missionary coming and giving things for free, giving, you know, education, anything for free. And you come there and they expect you to give everything for free. And we come, we don't give it for free just because we know this is an issue. We come and, you know, set up a normal school and we expect them, expect them to contribute something just because you value what you get so much more if you had to, you know, uh, pay something to do it or sacrifice something to do it rather. And so when we go, if there's, if we go to an area where there haven't been that many missionaries, people are much more open to uh, paying for paying a little bit to get educated, to, to pitch in themselves to, to uh, accomplish something. But when we go to the areas um, that there's been a lot of uh, missionaries or even the UN, um, we were we went to one area that was um, the UN had had gone several times to feed them during famines and you know one year it's okay but when you do that year after year after year what had happened in this area this is in in northern Kenya they stopped tilling the land they stopped sowing they stopped trying to produce something themselves because they mentality was they're just going to come feed us when we need food so when we come there and we want we want to set up a program not only do they expect to get everything for free they expect to be fed but they also demand a sitting fee for sitting in class they want us to pay them for coming and sitting in class because well that is what the UN does to them they come and they they pay them to sit through uh, an HIV conference or whatever it might be and it's just creating this dependency syndrome that keeps them in poverty. Uh, that's really incredible. I remember uh, reading that on your website, just that, you know, there were these other programs that would come and they would literally pay them. And of course, it's, it's real easy to, um, to, to say, to, fla to flaunt how many people are coming to your training class if you're paying them to come you know i would uh i'd probably have a lot more listeners to my podcast if i if i paid them and make some great pictures that's right that's right totally um now um i know that as a christian organization founded on biblical principles you're doing things differently than the un but you're also doing things differently than a lot of other missionary organizations and so i don't want to stray too far from that idea of um from talking about the other missionary organizations. As a matter of fact, we just got a question in. I'd like to address in a few minutes um, about how we should think about those other missionary organizations. But can you tell us, Catherine, what 
what does Safari Mission do that is unique? How is your process unique, not only from the UN, but from these other missionary organizations? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that we, I've already touched a little bit on it, but just uh, changing the mindset that we don't come in there to give them free resources. We come in there to train them to become producers and we expect something from them in return. Uh, you know, they pay fees to come to class. They, when they come to class, we don't just give them head knowledge, but we take them through a character building. Like we know the issues there, you know, this is specifically for um, Africa, but we know that the leaders, uh, a lot of them have the entitlement mentality that, you know, the, the people under me serve me and I'm just going to sit here being served. So when they come to class, we take away all the titles so that um, they don't, you know, there's no difference between a pastor, an associate pastor, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever it might be. We just treat them all the same so that, you know, you take away someone, it kind of builds character. Not just that, but if you're a leader, you're, you never sweep the floor anywhere. You have servants to do that. And we make all of our students sweep the floor, you know, on a rotation basis, you know, they clean up the classrooms. And, you know, we've just seen phenomenal results doing that because we, they come to class and there's a lot of resistance the first few weeks, but as, you know, they finish the, up the program, whatever they might do, they thank us and they say, you know what, that has really changed my life. And I see differently on the leadership role now. And it just does something with the character. I really think that we strive to build character, to build ethics. We're big on ethics, you know, because there's so much corruption there. We really are strong on the ethical aspect of it that, you know, this is not an opportunity for you to serve yourself, but this is just an opportunity for you to build something that's greater than yourself, you know, and you're there to build the people that you serve and so I just feel like in many ways we think differently we approach it differently we expect them to you know just come up with um, things you know as far as um, financial they have to they have to provide you know their own transportation and they have to you know pay somewhat of a fee uh, just give something you know because it, it that's what people all over the world do and and it's no different there yeah, thank you for explaining that. So we've gotten a question on YouTube now from Iljin Cho, who um, is an avid listener of the uh, watcher of our videos. What he says is, question, would it be better to stop financially supporting organizations that try to fix problems with money only? How would you answer that? I would say that really do research the organization that you do give money to. I mean, you know, it's easy to it's easy it's easy to just oh that looks like a good project that looks like a good organization without researching it because they just have fancy pictures or they just have like this great video and so you just send money there and you don't really research how are they really affecting and changing lives and and you know what do you want to do with the money that you have are you trying what you know find someone who aligns with your vision and what you want to accomplish. But I really just think that throwing money at problem never solves anything. And I think it's just the easiest way to, to buy ourselves away from a bad conscience. Yeah. Or you might look at a website and say, wow, look how many people they have in their classes. 
never knowing that they paid all those people sitting fees to be there, right? Exactly. So I really think that researching an organization, listen to, you know, our our website, safarimission.org, we have real live, or not live, but they're, they're real recorded uh, student testimonies or testimonies of people that we've helped, and they're telling for themselves, you know, how that has impacted their lives. Uh, and, you know, we... Which you know, we focus more on building the people there than than the fancy pictures, the fancy buildings. You know, we have seen mission station after mission station. Um, when the missionary leaves, the the fancy building, gorgeous building, gorgeous you know compound. But when the missionaries leave, nothing gets done, and it just um, sits there empty. Uh, no maintenance is done because no one was never ever trained to do that. So our philosophy is. We would rather build people because we know that people can build buildings. Oh, that's good. That's a good quote right there. We'd rather build people because we know that people can build buildings. That is good. It reminds me of the, what the Apostle Paul says about when he talks about building on the foundation that is Christ. And he talks about building with either hay and wood and stubble versus building with precious stones and gold. And, and Paul is talking about investing not in a fancy building, mm -hmm. but in people. Yeah. And and that's what his whole ministry was about. And it sounds like that's what your ministry is about as well. It is. I mean, we do need buildings. And so we do have like a, a, a building project, but that's not the main thrust of our ministry. That's right. not where the most of our money go. We, of course, we all understand we need something, but you know, we, we've heard of other big organizations they go in and build all these churches all over the country and the churches just sit there empty because they never build people and so we just want to focus on building the people and our and our people that we have trained they go out there and they get buildings done that doesn't mean they have the fanciest building on earth but they have something and they they keep improving on what they have and that's how you build them so can we talk about norway because this was something that absolutely fascinated me on your website, you talk about how Norway used to be the poorest country in Europe, mm -hmm. and then something dramatic happened, and, and that's certainly not the case any longer. What happened in Norway? Why is that, uh, why is that such a good example for what you're doing? Well, in Norway used to be really, really poor, which is why you have so many Norwegian who who immigrated to the states. You know, we all know there's a lot of Norwegians in Minnesota, South Dakota, all those places. They came because it was really poor, poor country. And we had a famine, and so in the late 1700s, there was a lay preacher named Hans Nielsen Hauge, and he was he was uh, persecuted because at the time you could only uh, preach if you were ordained by the state church. And so, you know, he suffered a lot of persecution. He went to jail a lot, but he revolutionized so much in Norway. He, he had a lot of followers, a lot of, several of the followers uh, were a part of, uh, you know, uh, signing and writing the constitution of Norway, which had a Christian foundation. Um, and he he not just preached the gospel, but he preached that, or he didn't preach, but he started businesses as he was going, uh, walking around. And, and, you know, we learned about him growing up in school, but he would walk from one city to another. And he was very industrious. While he was walking, he would knit and he would give away the clothes he knitted to somebody in need. And when he came to a new place, he would start a business and he would turn it over to the local people. And, and, and he, had, he was strong on ethics. And he just said, you know, that he created a lot of 
Christian business people, and they have laid a foundation, and his influence has laid a foundation for the prosperity that you see in Norway today, and the ethic that you see in in the business world today you know growing up and even to this day a verbal agreement is just as strong as a written agreement because of that ethic people just honor their word and it was all traced back even secular historians do accredit him to being such an influence upon the society and he really just started the economy going and growing in Norway and of course it's been like 300 years by now and so by now we really reap the fruit of that over there is one of the uh, richest countries on earth today and of course uh, the other th factors too but we you know it's well known that he really played a foundation in the ethics and the and the um, entrepreneurship that he would bring to the table when he would go around and preaching. So, um, yeah, just an absolutely fascinating story. Mm -hmm. I did not know that about Norway. So I'm, right. I'm so glad that you shared that. I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, just learned that for the first time as well. And I, I love that idea of taking the long game seriously. Mm -hmm. right. this isn't, it's not just a, we're not talking about some sort of prosperity gospel, you know, pray and you're going to get a, a financial windfall. This is sowing the seeds of long-term societal growth. We're trying to grow people. We're trying to grow societies. Mm -hmm. And we're, you're talking about investing biblical principles into a culture, infusing them into a culture. And that's going to continue to reap benefits, as you said, 300 years later. Exactly. And that's what we want to see in Africa. We really believe Africa is, is on the rise. We really believe Africa is growing and financially and, and all those things. But we really believe that it's going to be the, the, the biblical foundation is important. We really believe that entrepreneurship, like getting producers in society is going to be the solution because it's not just a quick fix, but it's going to be there for generations to come. And, you know, a country is not built overnight, but we really believe that this is the solution. No matter where you are in the world, it really is just the universal principle and I really think that you can even look at this country uh, the United States it wasn't just um, built by someone coming in with an aid it was built by people who had a shovel in their hand and started digging the dirt and started you know digging for a well started building houses whatever it took to do it that's how this country was built and so I think that's just how you get rid of poverty as well you really just need to create producers in society yeah, that's great. Is there is there anyone else, Catherine, who is doing something similar to what Safari Mission is doing, whether in Kenya or maybe you're aware of somebody else doing something similar? Or or, or are there countless organizations? Are there are there too many to count? Is this a is this a common approach? I don't think it's a common approach at all because we personally haven't found anyone and we really do talk to people you know of different denominations of different and we see so many in in Nairobi there's so many nonprofit organizations whether they are biblical or founded or you know Christian or non-Christian there's so many there and from everything we've seen we personally haven't seen anyone yet that doesn't mean they're not there but it's obviously not the mainstream because then we would have heard about something. And so um, I really just can't mention anyone, unfortunately. I really just think that um, we're kind of spearheading a, a new thing that needs to happen if you're gonna see great change. And like I said, there might there, there should be someone out there. I really think there should be, but I personally don't know who they are. Okay, well then this is your opportunity to inspire the next 
Catherine or Vidar or uh, someone who is going to be able to put into practice some of those same principles. So can you just lay out for us, Catherine, what what are the principles that someone can take away from this conversation, from, from your work, and go and apply them here in Chicago or in you know, Minnesota, where all those other uh, Norwegians are, right? Or, or wherever people happen to be listening to this, what are those principles that are going to be actionable that they can start taking action on this year in order to start alleviating and eradicating poverty where they are? Well, I think first of all, just look at your own life and make sure that you're growing yourself. You know, if you want to be in a different place than you are today in a year from now, you got to take some new steps. You know, you got to develop yourself. You got to, you know, if that means you got to read some more books, if that means you got to study some things, you know, do go online and learn some things instead of watching uh, soap operas and TVs all day, then that's the first. You got to start with yourself. They have something to give to other people. And if you, once you have something to give to other people, it could be a product, it could be an idea, it could be like, um, you know, if you have a ministry, it could be something that you have on the inside of you that you want to share with the rest of the world, then you become, you give something of value to other people that they can be benefiting from, they can be helped by. And I just think that, you know, this, especially during the season we're in right now and the COVID-19 crisis and everyone's home and, and, and this is not, an, this is an opportunity for you to, to dig deeper and to develop yourself and to, provide something of value to other people, you know, from where you are right now. And so just want to encourage everyone who's out there that this is, don't sit back and just let life happen right now, but take action and, and grow yourself and find out how can you be an asset to other people. And we're not all going to be doing the same thing, but we all have something to offer, whether it be to our neighbor, to our community, to overseas, wherever it might be. Um, this is a good season to to start growing in. All right. Very good. I, I like how you're encouraging people to actually put into practice the principles themselves. And, and in so doing, of course, that's going to encourage others to want to put those principles into practice. Um, Catherine, I, I do have a few more questions for you and actually uh, some objections for you. <laughs> All right. But we do have a, a listener question as well. But could you just really quickly give us like the, the two minute synopsis of some of the success that you've seen? You've mentioned that you've got some testimonials on the website and, and uh, I know that you've been impacting lives. Just maybe either one story of someone whose life was transformed or just sort of an overview that really says, hey, this is actually working. What's, what sort of success have you seen? Okay, let me give you a couple of examples. There was one uh, um, pastor where we started, we actually started our program with, and when we came there, you know, he was pastoring a local church. Today, he has over 100 churches that he oversees just by applying some leadership training, some practical things. Not only that, but, you know, when we came there, he was in the culture there. Uh, if you need something and your neighbor has it, you're free to go take it from him and use it yourself. You know, we call it stealing. And so we came there and this this pastor would take our food and, and without asking and we just like, 
found that in not just that, but his, his family life was not good at all. And today he has such a transformation that today he is teaching marriage and family in our school. And not just that, but the local co-op where um, they, they pull their money together to buy bigger items, they said, we can't trust anyone because of this issue. You'll know if you have money and even if it's not your money, but you have a need, you can just use those money. And so they came to this pastor and said, We've seen the change in your life, and we can trust you with money. We want you to be our treasurer, and that's just such a such a transformation, you know, to see that actually actually work. There's another uh, pastor in another area who, when he came to us, he had like five five six. Uh, unemployed people in his church and today without any help from outside he has grown that church to at least 200 by now and not just that but in that really really local uh and poor community on the coast there of kenya he um he's taught all these entrepreneurship he empowers women by having seminars for them on saturdays to teach them entrepreneurship and he has just produced so many entrepreneurs in his in his congregation they're starting businesses not just one but two and three and he mentions their names sometimes and you know it's not that they at least are getting to go and get themselves a job and they're just prospering they're they're they built they built a church building for twenty thousand dollars cash just by the offering coming in from that church that started with a handful of unemployed people and they paid the they bought a car for the pastor for twelve thousand dollars cash and so we just see it work you know they had no extra money coming in from anywhere else and it's just like you you build a person and they will figure out how to build a building whatever it takes in their local economy Oh man, that is incredible. Thank you for sharing that. So we've got another question from Iljin Cho who asks this, I know your organization is not the church, so it's not completely relevant. However, should the church's goal be to eradicate poverty? What do you think? Well, good question. I don't mm -hmm. think it should be the main goal. I really don't think so. But I really think that it should affect the, you know, when you when you are involved in a church and the message that is being preached, I think it really should affect how we live our lives. You know, I really think it should better people's life. I really think that, you know, it's a, it's a byproduct, but not everyone's going to follow what you say. You can't force people to do it. And there's always going to be people who's not going to take the advice, but you know, at least give people the tools they, they need in order to choose to go and do something with them. I, I think that's great. And you know, the way, I, the way I like to think about it is we don't lead with the financial or societal benefits. And we certainly don't stop with, financial uh, benefits. I remember being part of a, um, a church. It was a um, sort of a, a ministerial board in a, a local town where I used to be a pastor. And th one of the pastors kept talking about mission, and this is going to be good for mission, mission, mission. And I, I was so confused because when I hear mission, I hear evangelism and disciple making and bringing the gospel. And for, for this um, pastor, what she meant by mission was simply just doing good works and alleviating poverty and getting, you know, getting handouts out to people. Mm -hmm. And I just remember just something just in my soul, just not feeling right about that because our mission as believers is to make disciples mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ. Yeah. But when you, when you make disciples, according to Jesus, yeah. you're teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. And so you're, you're, 
instructing them and discipling them in biblical principles. And as it turns out, when you follow biblical principles, good things happen. You know, there are societal right. benefits. There's There are going to be financial benefits and not in the sense of pray and God's going to give you a financial windfall, but mm -hmm. you're going to be more responsible with your money and more careful in how you invest right. and, and a better steward and a more generous giver as well. Okay, so, so um, Catherine, I think that's a good segue into the next question I wanted to, to ask you, which is this. What would you say to someone who says, you know, why do you have to bring God or religion into this? Why can't you just, why can't anybody just use these principles? What about them is uniquely biblical or stemming from the biblical worldview? Why can't this work just as well for a Muslim, a Mormon, a Buddhist, uh, an atheist? How is this Christian, uniquely Christian? How do you respond to that? Well, I think some of the principles might work for, for other religions as well. But I do think that a biblical worldview and the foundation of the Bible, it brings an ethical aspect that is going to be different just because the gospel is based on love, God's love for us. And, and, and you know, the, the, the Bible talks about having life, abundant life in Christ. And I just really think that it not just brings you know financial benefit but it brings peace it brings harmony it brings you know all these other things that the gospel brings and i really just don't think other religions have that in their religion and so if you want a harm you want harmony in the family if you gotta go to the bible you gotta look at the biblical worldview and you know it's it's that's just you know of course my belief but i just really if you look at the fruit you know we got to look at the fruit you know if you go and look at other religions what is the fruit they are producing are they producing peace are they producing harmony are they producing love or is this just like an appearance of it you know how do people really are they really really happy and and um and you know, i just think that you know when you bring in the gospel it has the ultimate love god's love peace harmony and i really just think that if you don't have that foundation then what else is what what is all the other financial prosperity worth thank you for that so we have it looks i'm i'm trying to read this uh sort of on the fly here, but it looks like we've got a little bit of a, uh, a drive-by objection here. So Daniel Bruggers says, that was a good example of mistakenly conflating a personally shrewd individual publicity gambit with a logically extendable policy to be applied to the general population. So here's what I think, and you can, you can correct me on this, um, but here's what I think Mr. Bruggers is um, accusing us of here. So we're talking about Safari Mission, and we're talking about the work that that um, your husband and you and your organization have been doing. And obviously, we're we're promoting it because it's good work, and we want people to support it, and we want people to be on board. But it it sounds like what he's saying is um, what you're what you're doing is not applicable or extendable to the general population. Um, and I think you know, Catherine, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like you just sort of answered that objection. Like, yeah, you could possibly get here from other worldviews, but there's something unique about the biblical worldview that makes this kind of work especially effective or even uniquely uh, sort of tailored to the principles found in the biblical worldview. I don't know. Is, is there anything you you want to respond to this or do you feel like we've addressed it? Um, good question. Um, 
you know, I, I think you interpreted it rightly, although I'm not sure exactly what it was trying to said, but um, <laughs> it was difficult to understand. But, you know, um, I really think that the principles that we are working by are universal. I think they can work, like you said, in Chicago, if you just follow the principles. But if people don't want to follow them, you know, you can't force them. And so we just see in, in East Africa, we just see a hunger for it because they come from such a desperate situation. They come from such a really poor, poor background that they're desperate to, to do something with their lives. And, you know, sometimes people in the Western world get so complacent and they're not willing to do what it takes to, to change. And so um, I don't think that the principles just work in East Africa, but I do think that people are hungry for a change in East Africa just because they're coming from such a poor background. So that might be a difference. But other than that, I really just think they're universal principles. Thank you so much for that, Catherine. So um, maybe one more question before we um, begin to sort of put a bow on this and draw things to a close. Um, how do we deal with instances or or locations, Catherine, where there really is more of a, a governmental um, impediment or, you know, there are societal structures that are in place that are actually impeding progress. So you could go, you could teach these principles, but, you know, the government is very corrupt. And you did allude, you did talk about corruption a little bit earlier, but does there need to be a, a two-tiered approach where we're dealing with government as well as society? Or, you know, how do you how do we approach that? Well, that's a really, really good question. And I really think that there's so many different scenarios all over the world to really give a good one answer for that. But I really do think that in every, you know, I'm personally from a, from, from Norway, some more socialistic country coming to Oklahoma and the United States is more capitalistic, at least it, when I came, it was more like that. And and going to Kenya, it's a lot of corruption and a lot of red tape, which is all over Africa, a lot of the same thing. Like Tanzania is a lot, lot more socialistic again, and, and we've been in there a little bit. But so I've seen so many different things. And and there are definitely times, you know, when we work in, in Kenya, there's definitely sometimes it takes a lot of time to get something done and do it right way. And so I just think that, you know, it's on our heart to also influence people in government positions so that we can help them uh, maybe even simplify some of the some of the red tape there and, and corruption, you know, getting the ethic in the people and you'll change that corruption as well. But that is we still have to deal with that right now. And, and it's, it gets complicated sometimes, but you just have to do the best of it and just, you know, do it on the principles of the Bible. You know, as we're, if we're going there as Christians, you just do what you can do. And sometimes it's not perfect but you just deal with what you need to deal with at the time. And then government change over time too. Yeah, yeah, well that's, and it reminds me again about what you said about Norway, how over time things changed and you know things are still better today, much better mm -hmm. 300 years later um, than they were you know, before those biblical principles started to really take root. So just, um, just for a point of clarification, Daniel Bruggers responded again. He said it was, it was specifically related to taking resources from another person without their permission as an example of what to do and that that would make you trustworthy of managing greater resources. So I think he was talking more about the example of the pastor who would take things without permission, but then um, from the story that you told, 
he no longer does that anymore, right? He's become much more right. personally responsible. Right. So, so what I was saying is in their culture, which is not a Christian worldview mm -hmm. per se, uh, you know, it's a very communal, uh, you know, society. So if, if you have it and I need it, I can take it. It's in the culture. And, you know, there's good things about that culture. You know, if you have a need, I'm, I'm willing to give it up. So that's a good thing. Um, but, you know, when um, we've seen a lot of, of this too you know you have a co-op like i said and, and everyone has pulled their money together to buy something that's going to benefit everyone and that one person take all of that for himself and spends it on his family it's not a good thing anymore and so this specific example was actually this co-op seeing that he had such a transformation in his life and his way of handling finances and ethics and being just honest with things that they said we cannot trust each other with the resources the money that we're pulling together but we've seen your life now has changed so much that we do trust you and that when we give you the money you are going to make sure that the goods are coming back and benefiting all of us and so i really do think that that's a it's a very specific example but i really think that's some of the changes we see as they are you know trained in other christian biblical worldviews well, yeah, thank you for explaining that. I, I do think that's a really powerful example. So thank you, Catherine. What is one thing that you hope that our listeners walk away from today from this conversation? Uh, what, what's one idea you hope they really hold on to? I really hope that, you know, as they are a supportive local or or organizations that work overseas, that they really, really research what's going on and how they're handling and how they're helping people, because a lot of what seems to be helping is actually hurting. And so I really want people to become aware of that when it comes to any kind of nonprofit, whether it's government, whether it's a commission, whether it's a non-Christian nonprofit. I just want people to be more aware of what are they really doing and how are they really helping and to change our thinking in what really helps. Love it. Thank you. How can folks support Vidar and you and Safari Mission? Where can they get more information? How can they join your team? Yeah, sure. We have a website, safarimission.org, and you can go there. You can listen to some of the testimonies. You can read some of what we're doing, and they can support financially um, there as well. And, and, you know, we just encourage people to do what they can. If people can give up $5 a month and, and, and start doing a monthly support of $5 a month, we would greatly appreciate that because that, you know, when we just pull our money together, we can get something done. 65 people giving $5 a month supports a whole uh, training school over there in one area so you know it doesn't take that much to to help other people over there if you do it the right way and you don't waste money along the way so you know safarimission.org five dollars a month we would highly appreciate that wonderful well Catherine thank you so much for joining me today and um I didn't know that safari means journey is that right safari means journey it does. This is a Swahili word for journey, which is why we chose it, because we were, you know, we were a traveling mission. We would travel from one place to another to help people. And we're not just in one place, but we we travel a lot and we're all over. So that's how we chose it. That's correct. Wonderful. Well, we talk a lot about um, being on a spiritual journey here on the Think Podcast. And so I just want to thank everybody for listening. And you know what? This is not goodbye. This has, like I say every every time, this has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. So thank you for listening. If you like this kind of cross-cultural 
content, let me encourage you to go back and listen to my interview with Chris Moore, where I share or where where um, Chris Moore, who's a missionary in Japan, shares about how to share the gospel with a Japanese Buddhist. It was a really fascinating conversation, as was this. Um, and uh, let me also encourage you to like this video, share it on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and engage with more of our content simply by going to thethink.institute slash podcast. So um, uh, b- before we wrap up here, Catherine, uh, Daniel Bruggers did comment one more time. He said, nicely done. So <laughs> well handled. And Catherine, let me just say, um, we threw you to the lions a little bit here today. There were, <laughs> there were a lot of questions coming in and um, and you handled it like a pro. So I can tell that you have thought a lot about this before and um, you've got a great handle on truly not only what folks are getting wrong when it comes to eradicating poverty, but how we can do it right. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank um, you so much. Don't forget, if you're listening to the, the Think Podcast, leave us a, an honest five-star rating and review. And that's all we have for you today. So until next time, I hope it made you think.